Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Angie Austin here, along with Jim Stovall, and we are talking about his Winner's Wisdom column. This week, it's Lessons in Carpentry. Jim is the author of over 50 books. He runs and uh, he is the founder of the uh, Narrative Television uh, Network, and he's working on his ninth movie. Welcome, Jim Stovall, to your very own weekly segment. It is always good to be with my old friend and the weekly segment. So thank you very much. All right. So this week it's lessons in carpentry. So what is a businessman like yourself going to teach us in lessons in carpentry? I'm going to teach you absolutely nothing about carpentry. Good. But hopefully, hopefully a little about uh, business success in life. Uh, Excellent. I come from a family. My grandfather, my father, my brother are all very, very talented carpenters. They can make anything, fix anything. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my, my brother's five years younger, and I would make these things in like wood shop in junior high school. And then a few years later, he would be making the same thing. His looks like the example the teacher made. Wow. Mine looks like somebody run over it with a truck or something. You know, That's it's just so like, funny. And, and that's and, uh, when you had your vision. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had no excuse, no excuse. Uh, <laughs> to, today, as a blind person, I could probably do it as good, just as good. wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> and, then, and then when we were in high school, in college, we got summer jobs working construction. And, and I remember them telling my brother, Bob, now, son, you've got real talent. You ought to stay in the business, and you could be a, a finished carpenter, do anything you want to do. And now, Jim, you, you need to study hard and stay in school. It's what you need to do. And uh, so, uh, and uh, it's true. I am now a business person, and my brother is president of an eighty million dollar construction company, oh. and, and he builds he builds hospitals and schools and universities and all kinds of stuff. And uh, and I um, I'm very proud of him. But there are some lessons I learned from my father, my grandfather, and my brother about carpentry, and you know, and they 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 work for all of us. Number one. Really big thing I learned is there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. I remember <laughs> going out with my grandfather when I was six years old, and we were going to go up on the hill. He had you know, quite a little bit of acreage, and we were going to go up on the hill and cut down a Christmas tree. And I thought that was so cool because I'd grown up in the city. Christmas trees are something you went to the lot and, and bought, you know. Mm-hmm. So this was going to be cool. So we went up there, and I found this tree. And I got out the saw, and I crawled under there, and I started sawing on this tree. And he said, son, you're on the downhill side. The tree is going to fall over on you. So he showed me how to do it, and I did it. And then he said, now we we have to drag it back to the house. So I grabbed the top of the tree where you put the star, and I start dragging it. And it won't go hardly. He said, son, you have to grab the other end. And that's when he said, there's a right way and a wrong way to do absolutely everything you'll ever do in this life. There's a right way. Oh, you grabbed the top of the tree. Yeah, I grab the top, and if you pull that, all the limbs catch and won't go. But if you grab the bottom of the tree, it just slides right along and goes very simply. And uh, it's really amazing. So uh, I I just, uh, you know, and that's when I began learning how to do 
things the right way and the wrong way. And then other things you learn from carpenters is you measure twice and you cut once. Yes, my husband does that. Very, very important. And, and, you know, other things you learn is, uh, you know, as the great, uh, my late great friend and uh, mentor, Dr. Stephen Covey, taught us in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, sometimes if you're, if you're chopping a tree down and trying to get it done as fast as you can, the fastest thing to do is stop and sharpen your saw. You've got to take care of your tools. And one of the things we often forget, Angie, here in the 21st century, we are a tool. Our mind, our body, our spirit, those are tools. And we've got to take care of those tools. And, you know, staying up all night working, you know, um, not paying attention to your family, not doing the other things you should do, you know, not taking care of your body. These are not taking care of your tools. And they will be... You know, those tools can be your greatest asset or your biggest liability, depending on how well you take care of them. You know, I think when I speak to you sometimes, I'm kind of blown away that I'm even in your circle of acquaintances and friends because you talk about Steve Covey. Um, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, Steve Forbes, uh, Mr. Covey, uh, John, the late great John Wooden, uh, 10 NCAA championship, seven back to back. I mean, unheard of. And you, uh, Paul Harvey was your friend. The other guy, you still write books for his uh, for his organization, his nonprofit. Who's he? Oh, Napoleon Hill and yes. uh, Don <laughs> Green and the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Oh, Absolutely. yeah, that guy, Napoleon Hill. But I mean, when you say all these names, it blows me away because like, you didn't mess around with your circle of influential people. Like, if you were going to hang out with people or ask advice from people, you didn't just, like, run into a guy at the coffee shop. Like, you called up Steve Forbes or, like, it's just crazy to me, like, that I'm even in your in your circle. <laughs> well, but, but Angie, I mean, here's uh, inside baseball behind the curtain. I created all of that. I mean, I'm just a blind guy from Oklahoma that didn't know anything. And I contacted these people. By and large, they became friends of mine because I contacted them. And I, you know, I'm a firm believer that we become like the five people we hang around with the most. And I believe, you know, you should create your dream team. It's, you know, life is prom week. And, uh, (laughs) you know. And I'm I'm at least going to get turned down by the prettiest girl. I'm at least going to give her an opportunity. And, and, and you know, and I, you know, I, I remember when I wrote my first celebrity book, and I had a hundred celebrities in there, and really, really top A-list people, including former presidents of the United States, corporate CEOs, A-list movie stars, big, big people. And I, I had the Dalai Lama in there, and the Pope wrote a thing for me. And people said, how did you get a hundred of these? I said, I asked a thousand. I sent literally a thousand letters out and asked for a brief statement to include in my book, and here's what it was and what I was going to do. And it, you know, and it, it was very simple, and there was a return envelope with a stamp on it and everything, and, and, um, and I got a uh, hundred uh, out of sending a thousand, and uh, that's a wonderful, amazing response. But it means I got turned down by nine hundred people. They just didn't even pay attention to me. And uh, and I've done the same thing with my movies. You know, I I thought, okay, if I could get anybody I wanted, who would I get? My very first movie, I needed an old man and play this billionaire guy. And my first choice was Paul Newman. And you know, his health didn't allow him to do it. So my next pick was James Garner, called him and got him. And then we did Peter Fonda and then Raquel Welch and then Louis Gossett Jr. And, you know, and it just comes from, 
you know, I, you, you ask. You, you have not because you ask not, as the scriptures tell us. What a great lesson, though, because so many people are fearful or afraid to ask for something or too proud to ask for something. And so that really shows you, though, how many times in life you can get turned down. So you'll go ahead and just send the thousand because you know, you know, 900 will turn you down by just maybe even ignoring you, turning you down. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm in the process of training some investment brokers right now. And that's the first business I started when I got out of school, started my own company. And, you know, I told them, you've got to set goals on things you control. You know, I, when I when I started that business, I decided I'm going to call 200 people a day and ask them to be my client. And, you know, I've had people tell me, you can't call 200 people a day. Yeah, you can. It takes about six and a half hours. I did it for months. And, you know, and, but my goal was not to get a, a certain number of clients or not to get a certain number of dollars or commission or anything. I don't control that. What I can control is the phone calls. So, and it takes all the pressure off. I'm not nervous. I'm just trying to get to number 200. I don't care. I mean, uh, you know, I, and, and, you know, the guy that cares the least always wins. If you get on the phone and you act nervous, like you got to have this and it's really important. And I, no, I, hey, you know, Angie, I'm calling you today because we had some investment ideas I'd like to share with you. And uh, when you have some money available, I'd like you to consider doing business with us. No pressure. And uh, at least you can make an informed decision. And that, that was my whole pitch right there. And uh, and I built a multi-million dollar business just calling people that way. And, uh, and, um, and uh, this is back when there was a cross-reference directory. And you could look at everybody in the little town you lived in. And it listed them by address and what was their occupation. Everybody calls on bankers or real estate people. I called on everybody that was retired because I, I found that they're home and they'll talk to you. And uh, so I'm I just calling on retired people all day, every day. And, wow. uh, and that's how I got started. But, but I had to set the goal based on what I control. I control how many calls I make. The rest of it, I just have to let the law of averages take over. I love it. The law of averages. That's great. You know, my son right now is in um, business, uh, college business classes, even though he's only a junior in high school, because there are these uh, alternative schools now where like kids from nine campuses, uh, high schools can come together in this one school in the district. It's an innovation campus. So they could take stuff like woodworking and carpentry, like we were just discussing, but also, you know, hotel um, classes, medical, but business. So my, my, my son's in uh, business class this college level getting free college credit and we were talking about maybe going to a decent business school but he had a horrible year last year just really a down year uh, emotionally and after covid and friends and just rough and so he did didn't have the best grades his sophomore year and so he thinks he's going to have to go to like a community college or something and i said look even if you don't do that well in the sat i think um, a way for you to do this to approach you know trying to get into a decent business school is to show them that you've run a success successful business since you were 13, your shoe business, um, uh, legend sneakers, you can show how you grew it, how you keep track of all of your inventory, how your profits have gone up. So kind of write like your business plan and show them you've run a business, even if you don't have the grades. So he was thinking about just kind of giving up 
uh, on a decent business school because of that, you know, that that one bad year that will affect him, let's be honest. But I said, not many kids your age have a business like this. So let's approach this in, you know, a different manner. And let's ask, let's try, let's do a different approach. I mean, my dream would be for him to be able to go to your business school. So in a couple of years, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do that uh, application. Well, actually, probably be next year, right, Jim? I mean, oh. well, I will look forward to that. And I was lecturing there last week, and I said, any questions? And this this kid asked a question, and it sounds like a little tiny kid. And so after class, I said, Stephen, you got a minute? I said, who are you? And he said, my name's Stephen. And I, I said, son, how old are you? He said, 13. Oh, my gosh. And I said, how did you get into, I mean, you're a student in this university. I thought it's like take your kid to class day or something. I yeah. mean, how did you get in this class? And he said, well, no, I graduated from high school last year and applied, and I'm in college, and I'm 13. And and I said, and what's your degree? And he said, well, mathematics, but I wanted to take this course in entrepreneurship. I said, no, that's great. And I said, he said, I'm working on a, right now, a, a postdoctorate paper in mathematics. And oh, I my said, gosh. About what? And he said, Bernoulli's principle. Now, here's where I made my mistake. I said, tell me a, bit, a little about that. And about 20 minutes later, I realized, I don't know, I have no idea what he is talking about. Oh my and this little kid is going on, and, and, and I said, stop. You know, you have exceeded my ability to understand. <laughs> Let me shake your hand, and we'll call it a day. And, this, and wow, it is just fascinating. So I'm excited, you, you know, your son is getting ahead. And, because, you know, one of the things we need to learn is we should develop in school as fast as we can go, not, you know, wait for your next birthday. And uh, we're doing that very, very well. Wow, that is amazing. All right, so your ninth movie, that's coming along. Uh, what do you want us to take away uh, from this winner's wisdom column uh, in Lessons in Carpentry? Well, I think, you know, take care of your tools, measure twice, cut once, and there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. And if you don't have time to do it right, when are you going to have time to do it over? And also reach out to people and create your own Jim Stovall styled dream team, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's prom week. You need to be calling Angie right there. (laughs) You're on my dream team, Jim Stovall. Give us your website. Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, jimstovall.com. Oh, you're the best. Thanks, friend. Fort Lupton, you're tuned to Colorado's Mighty 670, KLTT. When you shop at your local ARC, your hard-earned money directly supports individuals with disabilities. 80% of people with intellectual disabilities are unemployed. And at ARC Thrift Stores, approximately 20% of employees are individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Well, anytime I'm having a bad day, I'll suddenly get a call from someone. And, you know, how can you have a bad day when someone thinks that they've got the best job in the world hanging up clothes in a thrift store? It's pretty special. People don't get it if they don't come into the store. We try and showcase it on our social channels. It's important to us. When you see somebody get their paycheck and they have a disability, they will stand at their cash register and tell everyone, I got a paycheck. I'm a real person. Like, brings it all home. ARC is a company that lives and breathes its mission, going above and beyond to create a space of inclusivity, morale, and culture. Find the nearest location at 670KLTT.com. 
Hey friend, Angie Austin here with the good news, getting ready to set out again on another adventure. I know it seems like I take a lot of them, but you know, from my from 16 until I'd say mid-30s, maybe almost 40, I worked seven days a week. And when I lived in L.A., that 10, 11 years I was in L.A. working for NBC, I would work on the weekends, like in Santa Barbara at KEYT doing weather. And then during the week, I'd put in maybe 50, 60 hours at NBC. So maybe I was working, you know, close to 80 hours a week. And then there were times when I would work in, um, like an overnight shift on the NBC assignment desk, and then I'd work a daytime job producing this this funny talk show I did with this uh, psychiatrist. It was like a, a call-in uh a call-in show. But anyway, so I worked seven days a week during that time. When I worked in San Diego as a news anchor, then on the weekends, I would drive up to LA and continue um, on the assignment desk at my NBC station. Well, no, I was doing weather then. But anyway, to make a long story short, they used to make fun of me, but in a good way, like, you know, that I was going to start, you know, uh, bleeding out of my ears because I worked so many hours, uh, you know, because I was trying to work my way up the ladder. So now um, that I'm, I'm, past working my way up the ladder. I do take a lot of these vacations, but this one I wanted to talk about because it's kind of a bucket list. Uh, Grandpa just turned 80, my father-in-law. My mother-in-law is right up in that area and um, has really had some knee issues lately and more difficulty walking. And then my mom, you know, had the two knee surgeries and the the, uh, shoulder surgery in the last year or two. And I just got her back into physical therapy and she's walking like a champ. She's walking an hour a day with her walker around the basement and she can stand up on her own. She doesn't need that special chair and she's, you know, used to weigh about 250. And as we talked about in an interview the other day, she's down to maybe 150, 160. So never too late kind of thing. So grandpa's always wanted to go deep sea fishing. So he's bringing his fishing kit and they're driving from Chicago down to Fort Lauderdale. We're going to go. Um, I promised the kids I'd take them to Disney. That was what the trip was going to be, um, me taking the girls. So we're going to go there a few days. And then after Grandma and Grandpa do their three-day drive, which they're already in the middle of to get to Fort Lauderdale, we're going to meet them down there. And we rented this unbelievable house that some of my friends just finished. And then we rented a deep-sea fishing boat. Yes. Is it expensive? Yes. But having grown up poor, I never spend money I don't have because then I can really enjoy the vacation. It's money that I save for these specific purposes. And yes, I did get an education. So, you know, growing up in low income housing, those aren't, we didn't, I mean, let's be honest, my mom never took me anywhere. I mean, not that she could afford to, you know, Uh, it wasn't like out of malice or anything or, you know, neglect by any means. But anyway, so my point being, so educated myself out of that situation. And then I save for these because I never want to be poor again or in debt again. Okay. So with that said, bucket list, like get the deep sea fishing boat for grandpa, did all the research my husband did to figure out like, what do we need to catch a marlin? What do we need to catch tuna? You know, what is the Gulf Stream? How do we find the Gulf Stream? You know, how do we stay safe? So we've done a lot of research to take Gramps out there. And I think we have, well, I guess I'll let you know, you know, if it works or not. But we're hoping we can get him a marlin or something and maybe a big tuna. And we have a smoker at the house down there and a, a pool, an elevator for the old people to get up and down. So when I say bucket list, like really bucket list, but really save. But here's the other thing. Mark and I could go do some incredible vacation by ourselves. And my mother-in-law, like she doesn't even want me to buy groceries because she wants to be in control of everything we make. Fine. Fine. Let them have their day in the sun. You know, I told them they can have the master bedroom, whatever they want. Like, let's make this a great memory for grandpa and grandma and for the kids because they taught our kids how to fish. 
and they get such a kick out of it. Now that they're all teenagers, you know, I think they took the little one when she was maybe two and Hope's obsessed with fishing. So these are all like memories that they've already established with the grandparents that we're going to continue and including my mom too, to be honest with you, isn't easy because it's difficult getting her through airports. You have to get a bigger car. You can't get a five person car. You have to get a six person car. They didn't have one at the airport that I wanted. And then I had to like finagle and do, I mean, it was really hard to get the details together for this because I really had to do it last week because Mark said, oh, hey, well, why don't we take my parents someplace? Well, I'd already planned my vacation with the girls a year ago. So what's my whole point to all of this? Make the effort, make the changes, put in, don't get angry, you know, figure out ways to make all the changes, get the tickets just right. Like I tried to use points and finagle this and finagle that. And I used points for like the Disney hotel and I used points for part of my mom's ticket and like whatever you have to do to make the dreams come true for the people you love. I guess that's the message, not just for me, not just for Mark. What can I do for grandma and grandpa and my mom when they're now in their 80s and they may never take a trip? They've never taken like a trip like this in their lives. I mean, I just applied for my mom. I'm going to maybe take her on a cruise. I just applied for my mom's. uh, 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 So I just applied for my mom's passport. And the point is, she's 80. She's never like really been out of the country or done anything like truly like exciting and like amazing. And so I can make that happen. So I guess my point to this is. Go out of your way to do things for the people that you love uh, because there might not be another chance. And I just love these grandparents. They've been so good to my kids. And so I really want to do what's necessary to make the trip great for them if I can remember everything, you know, to get this trip taken care of. So I'll be heading out and um, I'll I'll check in uh, and all the shows will be new while I'm gone. So there's no best of or worst of or mediocre of. It's all fresh. (laughs) And I've got some really great interviews with some dear friends that um, have amazing lives. One of them was a game show host and a talk show host in LA. He did national shows and uh, he's got a lot to say and uh, he's got some really great stories. His Bill Gates story is hilarious, I think at least. All right, so I'll be checking in. So make the effort, go through the hassle to get together with those you love and make some of their bucket list dreams come true. All right, let's uh, really change gears to keep up with today's digital... uh, Uh, First consumers, you know, they're into the digital, you know, all the techie stuff. Well, enterprises are embracing digital tech to address increasing demands. And joining us today in this sponsored interview is Jason McGee, GM and CTO with the IBM Cloud Platform. Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, Jason. So tell us, what is a hybrid cloud? So, you know, in the past two years, as especially as we've come out of the pandemic, um, we're seeing this massive shift in digitalization across all industries as all of us as consumers have have come to expect kind of digital first experiences. Uh, And as a result of that, uh, more organizations are embracing a hybrid cloud strategy, uh, one that enables them to uh, host digital applications and data across multiple clouds in their on-premise environments or at the edge. Um, so hybrid cloud is kind of a simple concept. It's when your applications um, are leveraging a mix of both on-premise and off-premise systems. Um, you know, maybe as an analogy, you know, we all, many of us own a car and, and uh, sometimes you park your car in your own driveway. Uh, that's kind of on-premise. It's an environment that you own and control. It's your property. Um, but sometimes you park your car in a public garage. 
um, like when you go to work. Uh, think of that as off-premise. You don't own the parking garage and there's cars there from other people. Uh, it's a shared resource. And of course, anytime something's in a shared place, you also have to you know, make sure you're uh, putting it in a place you trust, uh, that you manage risks, um, and that you, know, you can feel uh, secure uh, about how your property will be managed. And, and that's kind of what HydroCloud is like. It's, uh, it's the power of choice that organizations can leverage uh, the best of uh, their existing IT and, and multiple public cloud environments to help them build those digital experiences. All right, Jason, tell us how are businesses most commonly utilizing cloud technologies to digitally transform? They're using cloud technologies as the kind of fuel to help them uh, deliver those experiences their customers demand more quickly. You know, we, we, uh, it's hard to understate how uh, much expectations have shifted in the last couple of years. Um, where all of us want simple, convenient kind of, you know, the, the click of a button kind of experience, whether that's for ordering food or tickets or traveling, or whether it's for interacting with your bank or your insurance agent. And so they're leveraging cloud technologies um, to help them accelerate those transformations, to build those new experiences, and then to deliver them to their customers in a secure and scalable way. So as companies adopt hybrid tech, what do they really need to know? So I think what they need to know is the, is the kind of uh, realities of, of leveraging those approaches. So, you know, a recent survey we've done called the IBM Transformation Index on the state of cloud uh, showed that 77% of, of businesses that were surveyed have adopted hybrid cloud as their strategy to drive this digital uh, transformation we're talking about. But less than 23% of them uh, feel like they can manage that environment holistically. They're like struggling with the complexity of how to make uh, their cloud environments work together. And there's really kind of three obstacles. Uh, one is skills. Um, about 69% of respondents think they're lacking the right skills on their teams to help them uh, leverage cloud effectively. Uh, that's where I think a strong partner like IBM Consulting can can be critical to help you know augment your teams with uh, with deep expertise in hybrid cloud. Uh, the second is security. Um, you know, without the right skills, you can have gaps in security and, you know, cybersecurity threats are higher than they've ever been. Uh, and so having the right tools, uh, having the right cloud partner and the right technologies in that cloud to help you build secure applications is, is uh, really important. Uh, and then finally, it would be compliance. You know, many businesses work in industries that are highly regulated, like financial services. We think industry clouds, like a tailored cloud environment that's built for your industry is important. Uh, in 2019, for example, we launched something called the IBM Cloud for Financial Services, which really uh, was tailored uh, for uh, the banking and financial services industry where we've been able to build in security and compliance controls. Uh, and so being able to kind of have a cloud partner that helps you with compliance is a critical success factor as well. So with that said, cloud adoption looks different across industries. Is that right? It, it does. Uh, it, it's interesting in that um, universally across almost all industries, they're adopting cloud. Uh, they're using it for different things, you know, and in travel, uh, for example, we're seeing a real increase in the leveraging of AI-powered virtual assistants based on cloud technologies to help kind of self-service uh, answer questions for customers so that we all can wait on the phone less, right? Or, uh, you know, have reduced wait times. In manufacturing, we're seeing hybrid cloud be used across not only, you know, their, their 
back office and the public cloud, but also like in the factory to do things like, uh, you know, quality inspection on the manufacturing line. Uh, and so we're seeing a, a real diversity of, of kind of use cases, uh, but all of them are, you know, leveraging cloud to build these new digital experiences. All right. So with cyber attacks on the rise, how can businesses ensure consumer data is protected in the cloud? Uh, yeah, a really critical kind of top of mind concern for everybody. Uh, I think it's paramount that they modernize their infrastructure, that they um, take advantage of the uh, capabilities that exist across the cyber cloud environment. Um, you know, all, all businesses are are kind of growing targets for cyber criminals and, and cyber attacks. And so it's really important that you uh, have a modern infrastructure, you take advantage of the capabilities in cloud, you have the right skills in your team, and that your cloud environment uh, has the key capabilities you need, things like confidential computing or the ability to kind of manage your own encryption uh, and manage the keys that protect that data that you've encrypted. Uh, so we believe uh, it's uh, security should be one of the central factors that helps a business decide where their workload should live within this hybrid cloud landscape. Okay, we are speaking with Jason McGee, GM and CTO at the IBM Cloud Platform. So Jason, where can listeners go for more info? I think the easiest place to go is ibm.com slash cloud, where you can learn more about uh, hybrid cloud technologies and how clients are using them. All right, Jason. Excellent information. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM670 KLTT. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.